As the children are dismissed, why don't you join me uh, in your copy of God's Word in Proverbs chapter 2. Proverbs chapter 2. Uh, let me pray and we'll look at Proverbs 2 together. Father God, we thank you that you are indeed King and Lord over all and that you are the Ancient of Days. And so we pray that you would help us to find ourselves rightly ordered under you in the place of blessing, in the place of humility, in the place of wisdom that we might receive from you. Father God, we pray that you'd help us to understand this passage. Thank you for Proverbs chapter 2. Speak to us now through your word, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Every, every life journey, you're on one, I'm on one, has a, a beginning, and has a middle, and it has an end. It's made up of just seasons or stages of life. If you think of your own life, you can think through that. So I've been through a few stages, right? I've been a child. I've been through elementary school and then middle school and junior high and high school. I've been to college. I've been an intern, an employee. went to grad school. I've been a single young adult. I didn't get married until I was 25. I've been in, uh, a newlywed, I've become a father, I've buried two grandparents, I've gone through with my wife a, a miscarriage, we've buried my father, now I'm a father of six, and, and I turned 40 last year. Right? So I know I'm not in, in the beginning stage on the journey of life. I may be in the middle, but I may be in the end. Sometimes we don't know what stage we're in. We don't always know that we're in the end, the final stage. Spiritual journey is the same. Every spiritual journey has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And I think thinking through our spiritual lives this way is, is compelling, right? Uh, John Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress. This is the full title of, of his classic work here. The Pilgrim's Progress... From this world to that which is to come, right? So this is the story of Christian's spiritual journey, right? It's telling a story of his spiritual journey from the city of destruction to the celestial city. It's an allegory for the Christian life. And on that Christian life, on that journey, Christian is literally walking, right? He's on this path. Uh, heading to the celestial journey, and he encounters different people and different places, and they represent different virtues or vices, different temptations and opportunities. At one point, Christian is traveling with his friend named Hopeful, uh, and Hopeful is one of these endearing characters that you can't help uh, but but love, and they're ex- they're talking really at length in a couple different sections of Pilgrim's Progress about about sin. About the nature of sin. Christian and hopeful, they're going. And, and there's this guy that's traveling with them, and his name is Ignorance. Now, you don't have to wonder what he's about. Right. And at one point, Ignorance leaves Pilgr- or, or Christian and, and hopeful, and they begin a conversation. And, and Christian says, okay, now that we're by ourselves, what do you make of people like that? What do you make of them? Then Christian asks Hopeful this question. Do you think they ever experience 
conviction of sin? Do you think they ever have a kind of fear about how serious their state is, really? And Hopeful says, you answer first, you're older. I'm paraphrasing a little bit. here. And Christian says, I think sometimes, yeah. I think sometimes they may fear that their state is dangerous. But they're of a sort that they don't understand that those convictions about their sin, about the severity of their state, are actually for their good. And so they suppress those convictions. They flatter themselves in their own mind. And Hopeful says, as a good friend would, I agree with you. I think you're right. That fear tends much to men's good and to make them right at their beginning to go on pilgrimage. What is he saying? Hopeful saying, yeah. A kind of fear is needed, and it's a good kind of fear because it sends you on your spiritual journey. It begins you in your pilgrimage. And then Christian, having heard that, as so often happens in Bunyan's classic, a passage of the Bible comes to mind to Christian. And what does he say? He says, without doubt, such fears do just that. For it says in the word, the fear of the Lord is the beginning, the beginning of wisdom. For Bunyan, the, the fear of the Lord evidenced in just an understanding sin and the seriousness of our state before a holy God as sinners. It starts us on the way of wisdom. It starts us on our spiritual journey. This image of a journey, life being a journey, I think is an important one because it's a deeply biblical one. It's not something Bunyan made up. I want to encourage you. To think about your life like a journey with various paths. Here in Proverbs chapter 2, this is some of what Caleb read earlier. Solomon, this wise father speaking to his son, now in his second of ten talks to his son. He says, okay, there are some who walk in integrity. And there are some who walk in the way of evil. He's going to talk like that in our passage. He's going to talk about evil men who forsake the paths of rightness, uprightness, to walk in the ways of darkness. Their paths are crooked. They're devious in their ways. He's going to talk about this strange woman. Her paths sink down to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor they regain the paths of life. He's going to tell his son, okay, if you are rightly related to God and to his wisdom, you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of righteousness. Right? He's saying, son, see life in front of you and see it as choices, paths, ways, as a spiritual journey. We began the book of Proverbs two weeks ago in Proverbs chapter 1, and we saw that This is a book that teaches wisdom. And what is wisdom? Wisdom is skill for living. It's rooted in the fear of the Lord. And so it's under him. And we said wisdom always begins, always starts with God. That's what Christian and hopeful were affirming. Right. It starts with understanding God and then seeing your sin in light of God and then choosing the way of wisdom and trusting the Lord and his redemption. 
And then we had the first talk, the initial counsel of the father to the son, as Pastor Kevin even paraphrased earlier in in his prayer. Be ready to say no to sinners. Don't run with them. Say yes to wisdom now. Lady Wisdom is calling to you. Here in chapter 2, we have his second talk, the father-son talk. And when we come to Proverbs, especially once we hit chapter 10, structure is kind of hard to come around. Like, what, what is the structure of this? There might be some theme or this chapter talks a little bit more about communication or there's a little vignette on 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 work or on laziness or, or whatever it is. But when we're in these early chapters, I want you to view them as highly structured because they are. Proverbs chapter 2 is absolutely fascinating. The repetition and the intricacies as we work through it, it is highly structured. This father didn't just wing it with his son. He said, I want to make a compelling case. I want to make an argument to you. I, I want to talk about some prerequisites. I want to talk about some results. So we have four points this morning. The first is this. The prerequisites for getting wisdom. These are the conditions. And, and underneath this, we're going to have four. Four conditions, four prereqs for gaining wisdom. This is in verses 1 through 4. The first, to bring kind of whole Bible language, is conversion. Right? It's receiving God and his word by faith. Look at how verse one begins. My son, if you receive my words. Now, clearly the father is referring to his words, not God's word. But also clearly in the passage, the father's words are God's words. Right? He's a wise father instructing his son with God's word. This is the living out of Deuteronomy chapter six. The instructing of children in the words of God. So he's commending a a faith-filled reception of God and his word. The godly father teaches his son not just about things, not just kind of how to, how to fix that, how to run that, how to navigate that, surely. But he teaches him God's word. He teaches him fundamentally the gospel. You, You need to know from God's word what God is like and who you really are. And in light of God, why you need redemption, right? The father teaches the son, not just skill for living under the son, but in light of God and his creation and the ordering. So fathers, we need to be teaching what? The gospel. The gospel to our families. Because skill for living always begins with God. And his way of redeeming us wayward. Again, chapter one, in God's eyes, we're all bad company. We need to be redeemed. We need to be rescued. And Christ has done that for us. Become the very wisdom of God to redeem us from our folly, from our foolishness, so that we might be rightly oriented to him, that we might fear him and follow him. So when the father says, if you receive my words, he's saying, trust God's wisdom through me. Trust is an essential part of Faith of conversion, of coming to God, and we would say in light of the cross, through Christ. So receiving a godly father's instruction from God's word is what a believing son will do and must do to get wisdom. So that requires kind of faith, a right relationship to God and his word receiving. This is what a Christian does, this is what a believer does. So the first mark is conversion, but notice the second prereq. 
second part of verse one. It's memorization. So if you want to gain wisdom, you need to trust the Lord and his word. And then as a response, you need to memorize it. Look at the end of verse one. Treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and incline your heart to understanding. So getting wisdom requires an internalizing, a treasuring up. We would say a memorizing of God's word. Verse two, notice how he drives the point home, right? Attentive to inclining your heart to it's not just learning God's word, but loving God's word and loving it so much that you will treasure it up. Doing the work of memorizing it. Something that was uh, formative in my life growing up uh, is my my church had uh, what I would say kind of the equivalent of Awana. It was called Circle B. It didn't exist anywhere but my church. But it was kind of like Awana meets Boy Scouts. So it had some Awana Bible memory elements, but then we also had like nature projects and we learned to tie knots and we did carpentry skills and all this kind of thing. And and then I went to a Christian school and sure enough, the Christian school required me to memorize all sorts of verses. And then my church also had a Bible memory program, which my mom very faithfully uh, signed me up for. And so I would come on Sunday and I had someone in the church who was an adult that I had to find and I would bring my little book and I would say verses to them. And they would sign them off and I would work my way through just a book of the Bible, just Bible memory. My mom did this for, for years as an adult. She modeled Bible memory. There, there's this internalizing, this storing up, like a, like a safe deposit box, right? You want to put it there so that it is treasured, it is preserved, it is kept safe, it's stored up. What are the prereqs for getting wisdom? Faith. Memorization. Notice verse three, prayer. Sometimes we think of this as maybe the only prereq, but but here it is asking the Lord for his wisdom. Remember, in in chapter one, Lady Wisdom, quite literally in verse 20, raises her voice so that all can hear her. And what does he say here in verse three? If you call out, if you raise your voice for understanding. You've got to raise your voice now. You need to ask God for this. Remember how James talks about it? If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. So if you want wisdom, young, old, fool, naive, wise, if you want wisdom, friend, you got to you got to trust the Lord and his word. You got to store it up and then you got to ask. He gives generously. But notice the final prerequisite in verse four. Study. Notice the verbs seek, search. Why? Well, the cookies aren't always on the bottom shelf. That's why. Right. Some treasures are hidden. So you have to work to find the treasure. Look, look down at verse four. Seek it like silver. Search for it as for hidden treasures. Some of you have been to a mine. Uh, we went to a gold mine when we were out in Colorado as on family vacation a couple years ago. And uh, I remember a couple of things about it. One, it was cool, which was really nice because it was a hot day. And then just thinking with the limited, they didn't have hydraulics, they didn't have the technology, they didn't have the equipment, how far in they dug into this mountain. And we went, uh, not the whole way in, but we went in quite a ways and we stopped and the guy talked to us and then we walked our way back out. 
Some of you have done something like that. Think about the lengths to which we went to get that, that gold. That's what he says here, right? What's a prereq for getting wisdom? Well, you have to become a miner. You have to be willing to go to extremes to get the silver. Why? Because it's so valuable. So what, what is the posture towards wisdom? What's your posture towards wisdom? Are you willing? Are you going to great lengths to get it? We would say probably today, son, no pain, no gain. You're not going to just stumble across it. It's not like leaves just kind of laying everywhere, not worth anything to anyone. No, this requires mining. This requires study. This is going to require diligence. The prerequisites for getting wisdom are faith, conversion, memorization, prayer, and study. There's not shortcuts to it, right? This is going to require deliberate action on your part, son, the father says. And as you do this, hear now the results. So he's motivating his son to listen up, listen I'm going to share my wisdom. He's trying to get his attention. So he says, here's some prereqs, but here's the results. And he's going to give three. This is our second, third, and fourth point. Three results. The first is a spiritual result. The spiritual result of getting wisdom. This is verses 5 through 8. So he's given his prereqs. Now here's the first result. A right relationship with God. If you embrace wisdom, you will have a right relationship to God. Verse 5 tells us what is at stake. If uh, then, sorry, you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. So spiritual understanding is at stake. Knowledge of God, that is a right relationship of God. Not just head knowledge, but a relational knowledge is at stake. We saw two weeks ago that wisdom always starts with God. So conversion is the first prereq. Fear of God is where it begins. Rightly guided, guarded by this relationship to him. That is where wisdom starts. Notice what he says in verse 6. Can you feel the kind of other side of verses 1 through 4? Verses 1 through 4 is, hey, no pain, no gain. This is like silver. Men dug hundreds of feet into rock mountains to get the silver. What are you doing to get wisdom? What are you doing? Would you, would you be willing to memorize God's word to gain wisdom, to take it with you like a Werther's original so you can turn it over in your mouth? Would you be willing to call out and cry out, pray for wisdom diligently? Because you know that you lack it. Would you be willing to study, to work at it? And then, what does he say in verse 6? All the while, remember this, God gives wisdom. God gives wisdom. There's a spiritual result. You'll be rightly oriented to God, rooted in the fear of Him. And you need to remember, the Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth come knowledge and understanding. You've got to search for it. It will result in skill for living. But there is no wisdom found, no skill for living under God unless God gives that. This is a spiritual result. It comes from God. He made it. It's part of who he is and he imparts it. 
Verse 7, what a rich image. He stores up wisdom for the upright. And then he promises protection. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice, watching over the ways of his saints. The first result is a spiritual one, and God does the protecting. Point number three, the second result, a practical one. The practical result of getting wisdom, verses 9 through 11. Note the parallels with what we just saw. So verse 5, then you will understand. Look down at verse 9, then you will understand. Verse 8, God is what? Guarding and watching. Look down at verse 11. Discretion will watch, understanding will guard. So what is the practical result? There there will be a sensitivity to what is right and wrong. That's part of wisdom, right? Not only a right relationship with God, but also a sensitivity to what is right and what is wrong. You will know every good path, a spiritual discernment. You'll be able to say that's the way. That's not the way. That's the way. That's the path. You'll be able to make choices in life, being able to weigh things out. This is how Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 12. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed through the renewing of your mind that by testing, here it is, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So getting wisdom means getting discernment to know to choose not just right from wrong, but to be able to choose what is good and right and best. Look again at verse 10, for wisdom will come into your heart. The heart is where you you feel, where you think it's your inner self, it's where you make decisions. This kind of wisdom isn't cold and methodical. I have wisdom, so I know that bad, this good. No, no, there's look look at the end of verse 10. Knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Pleasant to your soul. It's not a burden, but a joy. What protection does practical, this practical result, sensitivity to right and wrong, what what protection does it bring? Earlier we saw in verse 8, God protects. Here in verse 11, your character protects. This is how my seminary prof put it. This is how to be fortified within This chapter is how to be fortified within. There's protection, guarding, deliverance language all throughout the chapter. This inner strength of character, the Father says, it will watch over you while you go down the path. It'll it'll go with you. When you leave my house, when your choices multiply, when you're looking for a spouse, when you're finding friends to run with, when you're looking for a vocation, this kind of inner strength, this inner fortitude will will guard it will protect you the wise son has what he needs inside not in a worldly sense but because god has given it to him god has given him this wisdom to be protected as he walks on the path so wisdom protects how well god's thinking becomes his thinking becomes our thinking and this protects us as we're in a relationship with him 
God's moral order will become part of your way of thinking. You will you will get what we call a Christian worldview, a biblical worldview. It will shape you on the inside and it will protect you from moral evil, not from all evil. We live in a fallen world, but it will protect you from much evil. And here, the father now has two specific kinds of things in mind. So he's saying, okay, just kind of the practical payoff is it's going to help you have a sensitivity to right and wrong. And you're going to meet two kinds of people in the world, evil men and evil women. What do you know? Evil men and evil women. And this will protect you from both. So first, I want you to see again the parallels. Look at verse 12. Delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech. The verb there is delivering. Look down at verse 16. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman. So he's saying, okay, when you have this real practical result of getting wisdom, you will have a kind of character that protects you. What will it protect you from? Running with the wrong crowd. See talk number one, Proverbs chapter one, right? That's what it'll protect you from. Look down at verses 12 through 15. Delivering you from the evil, from men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of uprightness, to walk in the paths of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. The implication is, okay, young, young person, apart from God's wisdom, you're you're not able to resist the temptation of evil people. The very kind of people we met back in chapter one. Verse 13, I think, is referring to those who have been taught God's word. And then turned from it. Those who have maybe grown up in the church or in a God fearing home and have abandoned the teaching. They don't just want to kind of get good things the wrong way. No, they enjoy doing wrong. Look at the language, right? Their, their desires, their affections, their enjoyment is all for the perverseness of evil. That's what it says here, the perverseness of evil. They don't enjoy wisdom. They enjoy perversity. And the father says, son, wisdom this sensitivity to right and wrong, it will protect you from men like that. It gives you the inner fortitude, the strength of character to say no to such men. If sinners entice you, do not consent. Verse 10, chapter 1. Wisdom will protect you, son. So what's the implication? Get wisdom. Fulfill the prereqs. Right? Ask From the Lord and he will give you the wisdom that you need. But then there's a second defense that begins here in verse 16. The defense against the evil woman. She's called in older translations the strange woman. I always thought that was really funny. What a funny way of putting it, strange woman. Well, what's the idea? She's out of place. Out of place in some way. Well, what does that mean? She's she's off limits for the young man. That's what it's talking about. Off limits. 
Why? Well, we, we know from verse 16 and 17, well, she's off limits first and foremost because she's someone else's wife. Right? ESV translates this, the forbidden woman. If we were to kind of zoom out, Scripture has, I think, two categories of, of women for men in here, especially for, for young men. There's wife and not your wife. Every woman you meet will fall into one of those two categories. Wife and not your wife. And if you're single, everyone is in the category of what? Not your wife. And if you're married, one woman is in the category of wife. And then every other woman is in the category of what? Not your wife. Right? This is real basic, isn't it? This son is presumably single. And he's going to give positive instruction to his son later regarding what to look for in a wife. But here is the warning. This woman is forbidden. First reason, she's someone else's wife. Right? She's already married. She's not a potential spouse for you, not to be considered, but it's actually deeper than that. And we see this in verse 16. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. Verse 17, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. This woman is an adulteress. She's not faithful to her own husband. And she's looking for a naive young man like you, my son, to seduce. Verse 17, she has forsaken her own husband and forgotten the covenant she made in marriage before God. And so he says, son, she is a one-way street to destruction. Don't think you can kind of play around. You can start going that way and end well. She will promise. She has smooth words. She will promise easy pleasure and love and affection and thrills. But she is off limits. She's out of bounds. She's unfaithful. Don't be wooed by her. Don't be seduced by her promises. Say, well, is that really that big of a danger? Why is he spending so much time talking to his son about who he spends time with and who he spends time around? It's interesting. I said two few weeks ago that Solomon's going to give 10 talks. We're only on number two. He's going to give 10 talks to his son. Did you know that the last three are about this woman? He ends the last three talks circling back to what he introduces here in the second talk by way of warning. How can this son be protected? He doesn't say we'll never leave the home. No, he says, you need to know the inner character and fortitude. It will protect you. Internalize wisdom, get wisdom, and it will protect you. But notice the final result, point number four, the final result of getting wisdom. You'll be on a different path, and it's the path to life. Beginning in verse 20, he says, if you get wisdom, if you gain its protection in this life, in your life, you will walk in the way of the good. 
I love that phrase. You will walk in the way of the good. Think of how compelling this is. So following God-given wisdom is a gift. It's not just the right thing to do, my son. It's the best thing to do. It's, it's not just that God will be pleased. You'll be happier if you do it. This is the good path, not just the right path. Wisdom isn't just true as in it's not wrong, but it is best. And here he taps into a theme which we see throughout Proverbs. This theme of long life for the righteous and early death for the wicked. Long life for the righteous, early death for the wicked. God has ordered the world morally. And God protects those who walk in integrity on the path. We saw this back in verse 7 and 8. This is what the father wants his son to understand. When you get a right relationship with God... And the sensitivity to right and wrong, both the spiritual and the practical results of getting wisdom, in the end, you will get a life of blessing. You will get an abundant life. Does this mean that every person who dies young is a fool? No. But some die young because they're fools. And Solomon says you need to know that. Does this mean that every person who lives a long time is wise? No. But wisdom, this skill for living, for many, leads to a fuller and longer life. Are there exceptions? Yes. Are these guarantees? No. We need the wisdom, not just of Proverbs, but we need to remember the frustration of Ecclesiastes. But even then, Ecclesiastes says, even then, even though we live outside of Eden in a fallen world where sometimes the wicked get rich and live a long life, even then, maybe especially then, we need to remember wisdom is still better. There are exceptions. Yes, these aren't guarantees. Not at all. But the exceptions are exceptions. And so you want to live your life in line with the grain of how God has ordered the world. Don't try to cut across it. You're not the exception and you will learn the hard way. And so this father knows, let me teach you now so you don't have to live and learn, but rather that you can learn and so better live that you can pursue the path of what is good, of what is best. So know the conditions of getting wisdom, learn the results, and seek wisdom today. My friend, what are you doing to pursue wisdom? Think back over the prerequisites of verses 1 through 4. Consider the results by way of motivation. How are you pursuing wisdom? How will you pursue wisdom, God's wisdom, beginning with the fear of the Lord this week? Let me encourage you that that kind of wisdom begins just where Solomon, this wise father's wisdom begins, begins with God, begins with his word. So to ask, are you rightly related to God and his word? Are you rightly related to wisdom? Is it is a call for us to be diligent, isn't it? To remember, man, we we need God to change us, to fortify us from within 
We need to be those that are willing to go to great lengths to mine the treasure of God's word, to hide it in our hearts, to memorize it and learn it so we can turn it over. We need to be those who are, are willing to do all of this so that we might grow. So we study, but we pray. We seek and we search, but we remember he gives. Brothers and sisters in Christ, friends, get wisdom. Let's pray. Father, we are reminded that wisdom begins with you, begins with being rightly related to you. And so, Father God, I, I pray for those here this morning who are outside of Christ. I pray that they would not seek kind of ancient Hebrew wisdom for its own sake, but that they would seek to be rightly ordered to you, that they would know that this kind of fear, conviction of sin and seeing the seriousness of their state would drive them to Christ. And that in Christ, they would seek to grow in wisdom. Father, we pray that you would help us to receive your word, to treasure it up, to call out for the wisdom that your word offers, to study for, to mine it. And Father, help us to believe the promises that we will get a right relationship with you where you protect us. That we will get just the practical result of better discerning right from wrong and grow in character. And you'll use that to protect us. And that in the end, we will know a life of blessing, a life of goodness as we walk with you in it. Father, I pray that you would help us to learn the wisdom of your word for our good and your glory, we pray in Jesus name. Amen.